This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, April 12th, 2023. Good afternoon, and thanks so much for joining us for the Wednesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson, and I'm filling in for Rob Hart. Artificial intelligence is moving into a sacred area. We'll talk about that in our next segment, but right now, the fresh numbers on inflation are out today, so let's find out what they signal from Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Greg, help us understand uh, the latest consumer price index. It's up, showing those signs of moderating when it comes to inflation. Yeah, rare, rare bit of good news. And I think an indicator that maybe we're turning a corner and things are starting to head in the right direction. And you know, specifically, some of these categories that have been going up month in, month out at a breakneck pace, uh, we saw that streak broken in March. Food, electricity, gasoline, even services costs, a very broad category, all of those were flat or lower in the month of March, and that is in pretty stark contrast to the recent trend. I'm thinking of the analogy of going up a roller coaster where you're near the top and it starts clicking just ever so slowly as you're nearing the top. Not that we're going to have a big plunge into a dip in inflation, but maybe a plateau ahead of us. But the, key, the, the real question is, how is this going to weigh on the Fed? Is it likely to boost interest rates again? Could this be the last rate hike we see? This helps get the Fed closer to the sidelines, but not all the way there. It, it, it helps. I expect the Fed's going to raise rates again at the beginning of May, another quarter percentage point. But, Rachel, that might be the last one. And the reason why, they will get two more inflation reports between that May meeting and when they meet again in June. If we start to see a sustained uh, improvement on the inflation front uh, between now and, say, the middle of June, uh, that is, is what is likely to keep the Fed on the sidelines. And, and tomorrow we're expecting the producer price index. Will that also offer some guidance in the Fed's next steps? It, it does. I mean, they look at a variety of different uh, inflation metrics. They're not pinning the tail on any one donkey. Uh, but these consumer prices really carry uh, significant weight. So uh, if, you're, if you're looking at today's release versus tomorrow's in terms of the impact on the economy and Fed policy, I'd lean a little bit more into the consumer uh, readings. Yeah, well, even just as a general trend when it comes to consumer spending, we've seen a pretty resilient economy. But but some of these figures are showing that 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 what the Fed's doing is working and that it's slowing down the increase. It, it is. We're starting to see the labor market just decelerate a little bit, shifting into a lower gear, still seeing job growth just at a slower pace, not as many job openings as there had been the previous month. Now you're starting to see uh, inflation. Uh, some of those categories that had been going up consistently, they've started to moderate. That's what needs to be sustained. That's what needs to expand to a broader group of spending categories before households really start to feel any relief on the budget. 
Now, Greg, this is obviously a little bit of good news from the CPI. Is it something that we can expect the momentum to continue going forward? That's to say that this isn't just some fluke. Well, I'm cautiously optimistic, but one in a row is not a streak. And, uh, you know, in particular, electricity and gasoline costs, they tend to be very volatile. So the improvement we've seen over the last month could prove to be fleeting. And if that's the case, it's going to put us largely back to where we had been. Thanks so much, Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com, based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Coming up, the author of your wedding vows or best man speech? Well, it could be a chatbot. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There's nothing quite like the romance and personal touch of a wedding vow, but it turns out some people are turning to artificial intelligence to help articulate those heartfelt thoughts. We welcome Paul Hawkman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge. And Paul, this is just the latest frontier of AI, I suppose. It was only a matter of time. Walk me through exactly how ChatGPT is entering the wedding scene. Well, uh, ChatGPT, that's a great question because ChatGPT is entering every scene. And, and the reason it is, including obviously the wedding scene, is because of what it accomplishes for the average user. Now, there are obviously professional uses for it and all kinds of things. But what ChatGPT does is it essentially takes all the writer's block concern that you might have by starting something as important as speaking your vows to your partner um, and gets it started for you. So essentially what you can do is enter into ChatGPT the essence of your partner's, uh, you know, the things that matter to you about your partner, the things you want to make sure you mention, and all that stuff. If you put in some key details about their life and so forth, you can quite quickly, I mean literally in a matter of seconds, get a draft back from ChatGPT that essentially looks like the the vows that you wanted to write in the first place. Are there challenges there? Of course. I mean, imagine it's not exactly personal, meaning it's a, it's a large language model that just came back with these vows, but nonetheless, you've gotten started. And for a lot of people, that's the big deal. Well, listen, Paul, I'm, I'm a journalist. I get paid to write for a living. And even I had writer's block when writing my wedding vows. So if it's just to get the ball rolling, I, I agree. It's a huge asset and, and a great tool to have. The other neat thing that I think a lot of people uh, can benefit from when it comes to this AI technology is that it, it can build upon itself. So yes, let's say, you get the ball rolling, but then you can also throw in a personal anecdote or a story. And I'm guessing it could easily work that in not only to a vow, but a best man's speech, bridesmaid's speech, mother, father of the bride, you name it. Absolutely. In fact, you know, you, you put your finger on something really important here. A lot of people who are just encountering it for the first time, and granted, this thing's only been out for six, eight months, but and there's now ChatGPT 4.0, and there, it's a little slower, but a lot better. Uh, all these things are happening, but but really, people don't think necessarily past what you just said. They say, okay, I'm going to put in this request to, for ChatGPT to create my vows, and then it'll come back and that'll be it. No, refinements are actually something you can do quite easily and powerfully with it. In other words, it speeds up and refines the process so you get a better product. As an example, you know, you can say, look, make it more romantic. You know, mention Shakespeare. I don't know, whatever matters to your partner, those refinements can be added after you've gotten that first draft back. I should say, full disclosure, I wrote my wife's vows um, because she had writer's <laughs> block, and we were. By, and by the way, I am an amazing person, so I made sure that that made it into the vows. I'm sure. <laughs> but, but the point is that those kinds of uh, drawbacks, is sort of starting and worrying about how am I going to get this right? This ChatGPT system is a really good way to get a jump start. 
Thanks so much, Paul Hawkman, president of Humongous Media. Up next, parents lending a hand when it comes to their children buying a house. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and a house is generally the biggest investment people ever make. Sometimes it needs to be a multi-generational effort. So let's discuss providing or accepting parental help with Tony Agoric, founder of Agoric Wealth Management in Buffalo, New York. And Tony, I think it's safe to say that it is a tough market out there for first-time home buyers. So what are some ways that parents can go about lending a financial hand to their kids? Hey, Rachel. Uh, by the way, it's 20 degrees cooler in the buff, so <laughs> I wish I were <laughs> in Chicago today. So listen, uh, this can be a, a, you know, an area that's fraught with, uh, with a lot of danger because, uh, as you said, the uh, inventories for homes are really low. Uh, and, uh, you know, home prices have gone through the roof with the, a lot of the pandemic money. So it's a, it's a very, very tough time for people to buy homes. So uh, some options that are available, you know, would be um, an intrafamily loan. And this way, you know, maybe you have an agreement written up by an attorney, you know, indicating the terms. You also have an amortization table which says this is how much has to be paid each month and you sign a uh, you sign an agreement so everybody knows what's happening you then can do auto pay to make sure that you get your payments in a timely fashion and sometimes this this can be beneficial because you can offer a, a lower interest rate than a bank would uh, and you also may earn a little bit more income than you would at the bank in, in effect rachel uh, the parents become the bank for these uh, for people now, the other option would be uh, just making a gift. This is something I personally experienced. My parents said, we'll either pay for your wedding or the down payment on your house. I opted for the latter. Um, but it's important, though, if, if families are considering just a, a straight up gift, that there are tax sure. implications that come along with that. Well, there are. And, you know, a, a lot of times people are concerned about the, uh, the, the gift tax. And in Illinois, there is a, a, an estate exemption of $4 million dollars. So the bottom line is, if you've got, an, if your parents have an estate under four million, and if they're married, it could be four million each, so maybe a total of eight. Uh, gifting really isn't that big an issue. If, however, they have a larger estate, they then are going to want to hew to the annual uh, gift exemption of seventeen thousand dollars per person. So, you know, in that case, if your mom and dad wanted to give you a gift, you know, they could end up giving you thirty-four thousand dollars. If you're married and they decide that uh, they want to give to your spouse, it could be another $34,000. It also, you can look at toward the end of the year in December, you know, uh, 34, and then in January 34. So there are ways to get money via gifting, um, which really can help you with the down payment. Thanks so much for the advice. Tony Agoric, founder of Agoric Wealth Management based in Buffalo. And still to come on this Personal Finance Wednesday, we're going to talk about avoiding major money mistakes. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. 
Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Pearson, and for Rob Hart, these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. This is Mike Krauser. There will be blood on your hands. Island Park parents demand more security after a student brought a gun to school. President Biden marks the anniversary of peace in Ireland. In Personal Finance Wednesday, avoiding money moves that you'll pay for dearly later on in life. Also on the financial front, finding the best starter credit card for teenagers. WBBM Business, markets rallying, the Dow up 179 points, NASDAQ up 26, the S&P 500 up 16 points. AccuWeather says the rest of today will be filled with sunshine and warm weather. Our high 82 degrees. Clear skies tonight as temperatures settle around 56 degrees and take today and paste it into tomorrow mostly sunny breezy and a high near 82 degrees the wbbm noon business hour continues as parents and students in highland park had a lot to say about security during a meeting last night as wbbm's mike krauser reports it follows an incident last week involving a student who brought a gun onto campus the mass shooting at the fourth of july parade was top of mind for many addressing the school board they said more security was promised students our hall and her mother. Nobody was shot, but why are we waiting until somebody does get shot and students do get hurt to really do something? My daughter sent me a photo saying they were in a hard lockdown and there was a student with a gun inside and I felt like, is this the last picture of my kid I'm going to see alive? Susie Wall is another parent. If you continue your complacency and do nothing, there will be blood on your hands when something happens. A student said some kids are afraid to go back to school. A number of parents said the school needs armed guards and metal detectors. One said her son was researching bulletproof backpacks. That's heartbreaking, she said. That's the story from Highland Park. President Joe Biden is in Ireland on the second day of a four-day visit. The president called on the leaders of Northern Ireland's political parties to resolve their differences and form a government. Since last year, unionists aligned with Britain have objected to that, citing concerns over the impact of Brexit on the island. I hope the assembly and the executive will soon be restored. That's a judgment for you to make, not me, but I hope it happens. In his remarks, Mr. Biden said America is deeply invested in what happens here in Northern Ireland. He called it one instance where Republicans and Democrats agree. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News with the President in Belfast. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets are higher this afternoon. We're joined by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at MacroTides.com, based in San Diego, California. And uh, Jim, what do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street? Is this investors reacting to the consumer price index? Absolutely. Uh, They were heartened by the larger-than-expected decline in the headline, uh, which uh, overwhelmed, if you will, the small uptick in the core price. There's a lot of investors, Rachel, who think that this will influence the Federal Reserve uh, and allow them to lower rates in the second half of the year. I think that is just fundamentally wrong. There is no way the Federal Reserve is going to be lowering rates this year um, with unemployment near a 50-year low. It's just that simple. Uh, But, you know, people believe that this is going to open the pathway for that. And that's why the market's up. And I think in the near term, probably will push a little bit higher. Well, if you're looking at a single source of data, sure, it looks really promising. But as you mentioned, the Fed is looking at uh, a lot of information. And you mentioned uh, the jobs report as well. So, uh, yes, we're seeing a temporary rally here. But uh, I'm guessing that there's still looming fears of a recession. Uh, And those fears, in my opinion, are warranted. If you look at what I call three very reliable indicators, the yield curve, which a lot of people are familiar with, It has a lead time of about 19 months. The leading economic index 
and then the other one is bank lending standards, which I started to write about four or five months ago. Whenever these three indicators have reached a specific level, which they all have, we've always had a recession going back the last 50 years. So I think the, the, the thing that is interjected this time, Rachel, is that people had so much more in savings coming into this window of Fed tightening, and that's pushed the lag time back a little bit, but I don't think it negates the signal. So I still believe that in the second half of this year, we're going to see a much more pronounced slowing in the economy. Now, Jim, you touched on bank lending, and I do sort of want a broad stroke look at the banking sector. We know that there's going to be earnings reports rolling out at the end of this week. How's that going to weigh on the Fed's decision moving forward? It's a factor. It's not a dominant factor. It will become more of a, uh, you know, an influencer if we see a decided drop in lending activity. Uh, I think lending activity definitely with the small and regional banks is going to be curbed. So what that means for small and medium-sized businesses, it's going to be harder to get credit or, yeah, they're going to get it, but the spread on the loan is going to go up. In other words, they'll be paying a higher interest rate than they otherwise would. All that is going to contribute to more slowing in the second half of the of this year. Let's pick your brain on the technology sector, because I've heard mixed reviews. We know that's not doing great, but some are saying, hey, that's the time to dip your toes into the water. Where are you at when it comes to, to technology? Um, I think it's time to probably uh, be a seller. Uh, it's had a fairly significant rally so far this year, in part because we've seen Treasury yields come down. Um, and that, you know, last year as yields went up, the technology sector got really hit hard. Uh, but if I'm right about a recession, the valuations that are being ascribed to a lot of these companies, I think, are still high. Not in all cases, but on average, yes. So to me, I, I'd be taking advantage of this move up. My expectation, Rachel, is that a retest of the October low is likely um, as we get closer to mid-year and beyond, and with the potential of the S&P dropping to 3,200. Now, Jim, as a macro strategist, you look at the markets from a technical standpoint. So what are the charts yep. telling you? The charts are telling me that the rally from October, and especially since uh, the last month, since the mid-March low, the breath has been very, very weak. Ironically, the NASDAQ has been up more, but that's because about four or five stocks have really led the charge. So when you have an advance, uh, Rachel, where the concentration is so small, once those stocks give up the ghost, the market usually is vulnerable. So to me, I think we're nearing the end of the rally that began from the last October's low. And if I'm right, we're going to see more of the signs that the economy is slowing. And in the short run, the Fed is not going to respond to that. Powell has said repeatedly it would be a bigger mistake to ease policy too soon, even at the risk of causing a recession. I think that's going to be the problem for the market. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at MacroTides.com. Up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, avoiding some of those common errors that can hurt your finances in the long run. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and in this segment, we're looking at the decisions that well, it can really hurt you in the long run. We're joined by Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, this is something that I wish someone would have told me when I was younger. So hopefully we can have some listeners heed our advice of uh, some money regrets. I, I, I think the first one I ever experienced was that I never negotiated my first salary. And man, would my life have looked different. <laughs> 
Rachel, if only all of us had a hot tub time machine, we would go back and tell our <laughs> former selves how to improve. And yes, if you know what you're worth, you got to go out and get what you're worth. But that doesn't mean be arrogant about it. Have some benchmarking as to why the job, the salary, and your specific credentials and value should command a certain wage. And don't be afraid, especially everyone coming out of school, don't be afraid for a little bit of negotiation. And I think there's something else that we can all relate to coming out of college or maybe that first or second job. I think it's all about the car, buying too much car. Don't you think it happens too frequently, Rachel? I really do. And and this is something that thankfully my parents sort of instilled in me. And that is that uh, it is so easy to have incredibly high car payments. The amount of Americans and, and what they spend a month on, on a car, it, it can be outrageous. Yeah, just don't do it. I don't know any other way to say it, but just don't do it. And the inventory levels still aren't back, so you're going to pay big prices. Gone are the days of 0% financing. So think about a simple concept. If you have $5,000 a month to take home, you probably don't want your car payment being more than 10%, a.k.a. 500. If you have 3000 a month to take home, you probably don't want a payment bigger than 300 But Rachel, I think another you know, problem for so many people is chasing the hot stocks, chasing the Those meme. memes. Those mm-hmm. memes? You mean GameStop? Yep, not, That's not what I should oh, be going for? I didn't say we should talk about you know, Bed <laughs> Bath & Beyond or to GameStop the moon, or Craig. any of our favorites, AMC. But what I do think we need to do is make sure, whether we're in our 20s or whether we're in our 80s, the reality is fads and trends don't last forever. So people should know the difference between a trade and an investment. And I want to make sure people are measured and intentional with their money. There are things that you trade. There are things that you invest invest in. And last time I checked, diversification is the only free lunch when it comes to financial planning. So make sure you're always diversified. And quickly, Craig, I want to touch on another uh, money mistake, and that is people who inherit stock and immediately unload it. Yeah, and I think it's not just about inheriting stock and unloading it. I think it could be just the emotional dynamics of money. And especially when we receive a windfall, there's a lot of emotion. And I want to make sure that people are making decisions based on doing their homework, not making decisions based on headlines. How oftentimes have we heard about the legalization of marijuana hasn't turned into a windfall of profits for cannabis stocks yet? How often did we hear that certain sin stocks like tobacco, we're going to have all this implication and look at how companies like Philip Morris and other things have done over the years. So just do your homework and don't let emotion become a part of your investment discipline. Sound advice from Craig Bolanos, founding partner and CEO of Wealth Management Group. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, deciding whether a debit or credit card is best for a young person. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Learning to handle credit is an important life lesson, so let's talk about debit and credit cards for young adults with Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com based in New York. So, Ted, is there a right age for someone to get a credit card, and how do you decide that number? I would suggest perhaps something like age 16 or 17, 
The advantage there is that you're building credit while you're young and you're getting accustomed to paying with plastic or a mobile app, but yet you're still living at home. So there's still some training wheels there that you might not have when you are in college, let's say, and if that's when you get your first card. So that's what I would suggest. Maybe right around the time you start driving, you could be added to a parent's card as an authorized user. I think that would be a really good starting point. And how do you decide, too, whether or not it's best to go debit or or credit card? Because credit card, that can be a slippery slope depending on the card. That's right. Yeah, the main advantage in this case of a credit card would be building a credit history. I don't think you'd be spending enough at that age to earn meaningful rewards. And you definitely want to be mindful of fees and debt. But jumpstarting your credit history when you're young can be a good thing. You don't need to use the card a lot or at all, to be honest. You could actually add your kid as an authorized user and truthfully not even let them use the card, and they could still piggyback off your credit history. The debit card example is a good one, too. You know, that is different from cash, and I actually like that it's different because there's not as much friction. So you need to learn how to avoid overspending when you're just entering numbers into a screen or or swiping or dipping a card. There are actually a number of kid-friendly debit cards offered by the likes of Greenlight and GoHenry and some other apps and you know, financial literacy-based services that can actually have some nice guardrails and, and teach kids about how to manage money. Thanks so much, Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com. And if you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at wbbmnewsradio.com as well as on the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.